makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and it's a good day for all of us to be here. This is First Voices Radio. I'm Teokas in Ghost Horse and sending you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And this is on an all-native hosted, all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill is the producer. Our studio engineer, Ally Guide, is the Malcolm Byrne. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices, IndigenousRadio.org for archive downloading and listening. Matt Remley, Papa Lakota, is editor and writer for The Last Real Indians and works for the Office of Native Education for the Marysville School District up in Washington State. And he's the co-founder of Mazaska Talks, which focuses on the global divestment from banks and corporations that negatively impact social welfare and the environment. He authored Seattle's Indigenous Peoples Resolution, calling on Congress to engage in reconciliation with tribes over the boarding school era policies and to oppose the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline and Ordinance to divest from the Wells Fargo. And in 2014, 2014, Matt was awarded Seattle's Individual Human Rights Leader Award. In 2017, in 2017, he was awarded the National Indian Education Association's Educator of the Year, the Billy Frank Jr. Natural Resource Protection Award. And it was named one of Seattle's most influential people and in 2020, Matt was named by the Seattle Times as one of the top 10 most influential people to watch for in the next decade. So Stop the Money Pipeline is where you can go and find out that 130 organizations and tens of thousands of everyday people who are working to hold the financial sector accountable for its role in the climate crisis. StopTheMoneyPipeline.com And I caught up with Matt Remley and I'm glad he was able to give us some time to First Voices Radio. So it's an honor, Matt Remley, to have you on First Voices Radio. And thank you for doing the work that you are doing. And currently you are working with the steering committee on Stop the Money Pipeline. And 
Could you talk about us? And by the way, it's again, it's an honor to have you here on First Voices Radio. Very happy to be here. Thank you and for all the work that you do and getting out the, the good words from people across uh, the Makoche Washte uh, Turtle Island and uh, spreading spreading uh, all this good energy that you do. And I uh, appreciate being here. And I'm really honored to be spending some time to uh, talk a little bit about the work of the Stop the Money Pipeline, the divestment work, and you know, really the, the efforts to protect uh, Makar, Grandmother Earth. Before I get out to that, uh, get a little proper introductions of myself for, for those who, who I don't know out there, but Matakoyepi, Chante Washtea, Nape, Chuzapi, Lakoya, Wakia Wanatana Machiab, Wachichu, Matt Remley, Machiab, Ina, Donna Harrison, Achiab, Ate, Charles Remley, Achiab, Onchi, Dorothy White, and uh, Dorothy uh, Remley, Wichakia, uh, Lala, Colonel Harrison, and uh, uh, Herbert Remley, Wichakia, Ake Yushkiawahi, Dion Wachiakapi. My English name is Matt Remley. My Lakota name is Wakian Wa'anatan. Yamoslaha and Mataha from Standing Rock, but living out here in uh, the homelands of the, the Duwamish peoples in the Coast Salish territory of Seattle. And uh, my mom is uh, Donna Harrison. My dad's Charles Remini. Thank you again for, for having me here. And thank you for bringing the, your Teoshpaya into this relationship we have uh, with the earth, as well as between peoples and families of native internal island. Thank you. Can you guide us into what the Stop the Money pipeline is all about and why it has come together recently within last year and this year and what you're expecting and how it works with this uh, divestment of banks and organization across the planet to bring resistance and at least awareness and education of stopping pipelines and fossil fuels and other energy extraction sources so a little bit about the uh, Stop the Money uh, Pipeline, which I sit on the steering committee of. Our aim essentially is to uh, pull together folks, not only across the U.S., but, but really globally, who are working to protect the lands, the waters, our air, our communities, uh, sacred places from the desecration of the fossil fuel industry and more specifically targeting those who uh, are the ones financially backing and profiting from destroyers of our mother earth. Stop the Money Pipeline kind of has its origins in a, a few different areas. Of course, the strategy of divestment is nothing new. Rest in peace to, to Desmond Tutu, but we saw the divestment strategy really came to fruition in uh, the efforts to end apartheid in South Africa when folks were encouraging people around the, the world to divest from companies, countries, or corporations involved in the backing of the South African apartheid government. 
So that's where the strategy origins come from, but more specifically as it relates to the fossil fuel industry and specifically the financial institutions, we we have a few kind of streams coalesce, coalesced uh, together, one of which was starting around 2010, a group actually out there in the East Coast called the Rainforest Action Network. They started producing um, kind of a report card and they looked at uh, which banks were at that time financing uh, coal mining uh, specifically and targeting Bank of America for their investments in the mountaintop removal, the the coal mining that takes place, especially out there on the, the East Coast. Then a year later, you had the birth of in 2011, a student movement um, starting at Syracuse University of students demanding their board of trustees, their colleges or universities to pull money or divest funds from the school's endowments, pension funds, those sort of things, where they were investment in fossil fuel companies such as Chevron, you know, those sort of Conoco, uh, energy transfer partners, and all, all those various fossil fuel uh, companies out there. That movement has uh, spread uh, globally to get colleges to uh, divest from fossil fuel companies and their endowments. Uh, more specifically, and kind of really the, the origins of, of where we're at now, uh, really actually started in 2016 uh, with the, the fight there in Yanwos Lahan up in Standing Rock against uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline. And the energy directed towards those who were financially giving money grants or not, excuse me, not grants, but loans to energy transfer partners for their construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And it really came to a head here, actually, in Seattle, watching what was taking place, having been out there, you know, my, my family's homeland, uh, uh, where uh, my auntie, uh, LaDonna Brabo, you know, started uh, bringing people out there to Sacred Stone Camp. And just seeing that we weren't really having much of an impact when it came to uh, going after uh, them legally. Um going after the company on uh, their violations of treaty rights, going after uh, the, the fact that they're building without permits. You know, they, they obviously could care less about the law, you know, and is, uh, you know, many, and many of us were out there when uh, them bulldozers came in in September of that year and started bulldozing sacred sites, grave sites and such. So, you know, they did these corporations could care less about um, the sacred, could care less about our our loved ones who grave sites were there. So here in Seattle, we started thinking about, well, how, how else can we start targeting and really go after uh, energy transfer partners? And that's when we started paying attention to the, the kind of silent hand uh, behind a lot of these projects which are the financial institutions, the banks, the insurance companies, uh, et cetera, because, you know, energy transfer partners doesn't have, you know, enough money on its own to just go uh, develop or build the code access pipeline. 
you know, they need to go and get loans from the various banks uh, and multiple loans uh, from various banks, not only in the U.S., but globally. And they have to go get insurance from the various insurance companies to insure their projects. You know, we, we started at that time to redirect attention and go after uh, the financial institutions as those who were financing the project and profiting from it. We started by uh, working with a group out of here in, in Seattle called uh, Food and Water Watch, They're kind of a, a research organization. And they were able to kind of narrow down kind of the top financiers of the Dakota Access Pipeline, which included the usual suspects of J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and other international banks. In, in Seattle, we saw that Wells Fargo was one of the top funders, lenders to energy transfer partners. And so we decided to uh, start an intense campaign against uh, Wells Fargo which began with getting the city of Seattle to pass a, a resolution opposing uh, the construction of the, the pipeline. And that was kind of our, our catalyst to launch a more specific campaign against Wells Fargo. So it was kind of a, a strategy to, to get the city to pass a resolution saying they opposed the pipeline for its various violations of, of human and treaty rights. You know, we went immediately back to them and said, well, uh, City of Seattle, you know, it's awesome. You pass um, these words of opposition, but it's time to, you know, put some teeth to those words. And we know that the City of Seattle has a multi-year, multi-billion dollar contract with Wells Fargo to the tune of, I believe it was three, three billion a year on a seven-year contract. So, I'm talking a, a lifespan of $21 billion plus going in and out of uh, Wells Fargo for different contracts it had with uh, the city of Seattle. So we uh, launched a very targeted campaign to get the city to divest from its contract to uh, essentially say that if you uh, truly support the water protectors, if you support treaty rights, tribal sovereignty, and oppose the human rights violations, then here is your opportunity to pull your money out of uh, one of the banks that are financing it. It is especially because it's your money or our money, anybody who has an account uh, that is ultimately being filtered and going into the construction of, of that pipeline. So we had a pretty intense campaign and ultimately we were successful in getting the city of Seattle to, to pass an ordinance called it a socially responsible banking ordinance where uh, they would end their uh, contractual relationship with Wells Fargo over its financing Dakota Access Pipeline. This really launched a kind of um, a national and international movement of various cities, counties, universities, tribes who began to reach out really and ask how they could pass similar legislation in their jurisdictions to to divest. And uh, San Francisco was the next to go, New York, I mean, a lot of uh, Berlin, a lot of places around the world um, we worked with to pass uh, similar legislation. 
all these kind of forces, you know, I apologize for the lengthy uh, background, but all these forces uh, kind of came together into uh, what we now call uh, Stop the Money Pipeline, where since 2016, you know, there have been other fights against other uh, mining, other pipelines, other fracking, you know, other kind of exploitive uh, practices from the fossil fuel industry of communities, tribes, grassroots folks who reached out for similar support. And uh, we decided we're we're much stronger, you know, together joining forces. So uh, Stop the Money uh, Pipeline was launched in uh, 2020 to bring together folks from uh, various frontline fights to uh, kind of bring this infrastructure together that we now call uh, Stop the Money Pipeline. Within that body, you know, I do sit on the the steering committee with some amazing folks from uh, around the country to strategize, work together, again, bring whatever kind of support we can to target those who are financially benefiting and financing uh, the destruction of Unchi Makar, Grandmother Earth. Uh, we also have a, a subcommittee that we call our, our Grassroots and BIPOC Fund. And so we want to be a, a resource for frontline grassroots communities, in particular, Black, Indigenous, people of color led efforts to bring uh, financial resources to their efforts. And we uh, are working with uh, Wet'suwet'en, Unstonen, uh, communities up, First Nation communities up in uh, north of us, as well into uh, Alaska with Alaskan uh, villages, and uh, specifically those who were fighting against the proposed Arctic drilling. This was back during the Trump administration so with the First Nations community opposing that Trans Mountain Tar Sands Pipeline and with the Alaska Native Villages with the uh, proposed Arctic drilling. So up in Alaska, we were uh, able to really target insurance companies as well as banks to p- apply pressure to them um, before, uh, and this was before Trump made it uh, opening up lands for auction for, for drilling. We, we targeted these banks and insurance companies to come out and say if and when, you know, these lands were auctioned off for, for drilling, that they would not uh, either give uh, insurance to back those projects or loans to finance those projects. So with the banks, we were able to secure every single major U.S. and Canadian bank to come out and oppose uh, giving loans to to Arctic drilling, as well as uh, a, a good majority of the insurance companies, and and then you saw that happen. You know, it was a big uh, failure when uh, the Trump um, administration auctioned off uh, the lands for 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 drilling. It was uh, a failure. You know, not, nothing came through uh, with that. On the Canada side, First Nations side, with that Trans Mountain. We were successful a number of years ago getting uh, Enbridge due to uh, really the frontline works of the Wet'suwet'en and other uh, First Nations communities to, and, and the pressure we were applying to the banks, you know, it was essentially a, a failure for, for Enbridge. They sold off uh, the Canadian government 
actually purchased that pipeline from Project Enbridge. So they nationalized it. You know, then uh, it's the taxpayers up there who are, are financing it. So we then uh, redirected and really ramped up attention on the insurance companies. To date, we've been able to to get quite a few insurance companies to to agree to not insure the construction of that that pipeline up there. So that's a kind of a real broad uh, background <laughs> and, and and overview. And you know, I- this is good, Matt. Thank you so much for this. It's a lot of information coming out there, and I'm going to steer it a little bit different. Here is mm-hmm. you know, this past year, this year was really an intense year of climate and disaster of weather, right? A lot of people say that. And yeah. we talk about the wildfires, the heat waves and the storms in the East and Midwest and everywhere, even last week or so when there was tornadoes out in the South, the upper South, I'd say. And even Texas got involved in being frozen for a while this yeah. past winter. And then now there's water shortages. Now there is all these problems even the feds are getting involved with their restrictions, uh, even in Colorado, along the Colorado River, that goes into effect January 1st, actually. And but So you talked about a lot of positive things, a lot of great work with the financial side and the yeah. renewable energy, we can say that, and it's growing, and offshore wind power. But also the Trump who pulled all the environmental protections um, yeah. When he first got in there, it's back on it, the agenda now. But now there are two Native people, uh, Deb Holland and Charles Sams third, also bringing these these perspectives to managing the U.S. Uh, public lands and natural resources. Do you see any signs of your involvement with that? Or are you guys ready to bring in another organization which is involving the U.S. government into the 175 other uh, divestors that you have as part of your group there. And then you have all of the, the, can you give me a ballpark number of investors that you were talking about? It seems that that list could go on forever worldwide. Yeah, definitely. As to, to having uh, Secretary Holland there, she's absolutely a, a great ally and supporter. Was a big backer the the fight against uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. I don't know the the other individual you mentioned uh, too well. I've got some research to do after this, but yeah, it's always great to have that added voice in positions of power, and especially when it comes to public lands that are owned by the federal government. She can certainly have a lot of say in what happens or doesn't happen on federal lands. So we saw during the Trump administration, the desire to want to open up some public lands to like fracking. And uh, we've seen a a pulling back of of some of that with the current administration. One of the the issues though, is that a a vast majority of a lot of these various projects aren't on, on federal lands. And therefore the federal government doesn't have a ton of say in uh, whether some of these projects move forward or not, with the exception of things like the the Keystone XL pipeline. You know, one of the reasons there was such a focus on the the federal government at that time was the fact that it crossed uh, an international border and therefore required uh, the sign off of, of the administration for its approval. There are some federal agencies that can get involved depending on uh, the particular project. Usually like the Army Corps of Engineers uh, will typically have to do 
uh, grant some permits. But a lot of these pipelines can, or other uh, fracking or mining projects, can can sadly get away with uh, permitting just from their their local counties or the states or other uh, various jurisdictions. So that's why we saw it's really essential to take a a pretty broad view in right. the the one kind of uh, key or uh, the one kind of common denominator is uh, the money, the, the financial mm. industry. So mm. whether it's a federal project, state project, county project, it, it, it all requires insurance and it all requires loans. You brought forward something, the word complicit, and that's from the ground up or, you know, top down, no matter how you look at it, there are people, persons and themselves who are complicit, who must eventually make the decision whether, whether to divest or invest. Am I, mm-hmm. am I correct? 100%. And um, I'm glad you threw in that uh, uh, invest in there because it's something I, I kind of failed to, to, to bring up that we look at uh, the divestment movement as multi-pronged. And one of those is, you know, of course you want uh, divestment from these sort of practices and industries, but there also needs to be an investment or uh, reinvestment, however you want to kind of phrase it, uh, back into especially the communities that have been most impacted by the fossil fuel industry. You know, our, our, our communities are a prime example of that, you know, our tribes and reservations you know, where a lot of this mining, a lot of this fracking, a lot of this drilling has has taken place. We bear the brunt of it. Our, our communities and families and, and lands bear the brunt of uh, the, these practices with polluted waters, polluted airs, uh, land that isn't able to really hold agriculture, you know, these sort of things anymore. And uh, the, also the exposure that the higher rates of cancers, you know, the other sort of illnesses so if we're going to divest and pull out these infrastructure from our communities, then there needs to be a real concerted effort to invest or reinvest into our communities, uh, whether you mentioned like uh, renewable energy programs or, uh, you know, land back, you know, is a great, another great example of that because mm-hmm. uh, tribal communities globally best know how to take care of the lands that they've lived on since time immemorial. So that, that in itself could be a reinvestment. So yeah, there's a choice by these banks or other industries of who, who are you going to finance? You know, the patience that one community, especially indigenous peoples, I would think is we have to reinvest. But before that is the thinking, reinvest in our thinking more to yeah. the, the, the sustainability that works. And one, one thing that I was told when I was younger, working in the environment that says, well, Yokison, you have to uh, remember to make your decisions through Mother Earth and not through the uh-huh. bank. It means to slow down, to look at how much damage investment made, because that was really having to gamble, basically. And you gamble, you're gambling Earth. And who would think about gambling Earth and removing the generations ahead from seven to six to five to four to three to two? Now we're in one generation away from losing it all. And to me, it's that urgency that you all have brought together with your group. And I think this is why we have you on First Voices to to learn from those younger voices, also to include 
the wisdom, actually the experience of the older folks here that are listening to First Voices and you, the younger generation. One more thought from you because there's so much information that we could talk about and I really would like to have you back on in the future soon, Matt. Oh, absolutely. And thank you, especially for including me in that younger generation uh, category. You, you, my camera's <laughs> off, so you don't see all my gray hairs. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I really want to echo uh, and bring up something you, you mentioned uh, just now that uh, is, is essential. Is, and that is the knowledge and worldview and perspective of our indigenous communities has to be central and how we move forward move back you know however everyone to phrase it with addressing these these various issues and i say that because um oftentimes there's that rush rush to action right that rush to and, and there is an immediacy to addressing some of these issues but if we don't center the the knowledge of indigenous communities then we run the risk of simply ending one harmful practice, the extraction of fossil fuels and that has damaged uh, indigenous communities first, but the, the rest of the world, you know, following with another practice that uh, again harms indigenous communities first and then the rest of the world. And by this, you know, I, I, we can look at things like uh, the mining for that's taken place for a lot of the these uh, batteries and stuff, right? Uh, the, the push for electric, and a lot of that's taken place in tribal communities, uh, not only in the southwest but down into to South America, whose lands are being destroyed, where being polluted, where they're not seeing the economic benefit nor environmental benefit of these practices. This is why uh, free prior and informed consent is absolutely a key essential piece, along with that indigenous uh, knowledge in how, however we move forward. So um, yeah. thank you again, uh, Wopi Latanka, and uh, happy to come back anytime. Uh, so good to have you here, Matt Remley. And uh, yes, yeah, so upholding the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples back in 2007. Good seeing you and uh, good seeing you too. All right, right. Uh, Tuk -tuk okay. And you are listening to First Voices Radio, national, internationally syndicated. I'm Tiokasin Ghost Horse. Sun. It used to 
yeah, that's Michael Fronte and Spirit from the album Y'all Fire back in 2005. I want to quickly say that you can find out more about Matt Remley's work at StopTheMoneyPipeline.com in a previous interview, the first half hour. And now we're going into the second half half of this show, First Voices Radio. Again, my name is Teokasen Ghost Horse, and uh, 30 years, folks, can I say that? 30 years on the radio. I want to introduce Max Wilbur, who is a writer organizer and wilderness guide and a grassroots political worker for 20 years. His essays have been published many places, including Counterpunch, Dissident Voice. Max's latest book is Bright Green Lies, How the Environment Movement, Environmental Movement, Lost Its Way and What We Can Do About It. In January of 2021, Max Wilbert and Will Falk launched an occupation of a proposed lithium mine at Thacker Pass in northern Nevada. Max appears on First Voices on a regular basis to give updates on what's happening at Thacker Pass and what we can do to support the people's efforts to keep up with the news about Thacker Pass. Check out the website at protectthackerpass.org and Protect Thacker Pass on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'd like to welcome you to First Voices Radio, Max Wilbur. Thank you. It's good to be with you and Happy New Year. I am... I've, I've, I've done a lot of writing and thinking about this the issue of, of solar and wind and electric vehicles and all these different quote-unquote green technologies that are being promoted so heavily. And a lot of it comes down to the same old uh, colonial extractive model that we've seen for so long in this country. I, you know, Of course, I don't have to tell you or your listeners that this country was founded on on, on taking land and on exploiting that land and exploiting the people very brutally. And, you know, slavery was, was part of this country's uh, uh, roots very early on. Um, and, you know, the, the cutting of the old growth forests, the, the exploitation, the mining, um, the uh, exploitation of workers, uh, the damming of rivers, uh, the, the, the growth of this country, the United States, has really been powered by exploitation and destruction, um, just like, of course, the Roman Empire was, was built on a similar foundation and in many other imperialistic societies, you know, warlike societies that uh, wage wars against, against other human cultures and also against the natural world. And so this, it, it's really... Uh, comforting to people to imagine that we can buy our way out of these problems. And, uh, you know, I'm joining you um, today. I'm thinking about these issues. I'm actually uh, sitting right next to a Prius. I'm on the street right now on top of this hill to get good service in town. And there's a Prius right next to me. And it's so comforting to people to think that we can keep buying cars. We can keep having this mobility, this technology. We can keep um, living this modern, highly industrial, high-energy way of life, but we can just tweak it around the edges by buying different products. And so I think this whole idea of community solar and community wind, it comes from a good impulse. You know, People want to not be involved or associated with destruction. They want to have control over their own lives and their own communities and not live in a corporate controlled world where all the power is in the hands of, of, you know, a a quote unquote democratic government. That's not very democratic. It's, it's really controlled by the wealthy. And 
Um, so people want to do the right thing, but I think they're hoodwinked into these issues because, um, it, you know, even solar panels and, and wind turbines that are installed and owned by the community rather than a corporation, um, as I wrote in, in the piece you're referring to, they're still controlled by corporations. They're still rooted in extraction and rooted in the destruction of the land because all the steel in those products, the lithium, the cobalt, the nickel, uh, the aluminum, the copper, um, you know, wind turbines requ require lubricants, which are made from oil. Um, oil companies like ExxonMobil have whole divisions that are devoted to uh, wind turbine lubricants. Um, these, these, all of these products, industrial products, are um, ultimately a product of destroying the land. And, uh, you know, you've done so much writing and so much work over the years, Tiokasen, on this show and elsewhere, devoted to uh, the very simple but very powerful idea that um, we need to live with the land, right? Not, not exploit the land. We need to live in harmony with uh, the natural world. And the, the truth of that is that that means giving up a lot of the luxuries that uh, we've come to take for granted in, uh, in wealthy countries like the United States or that many people have come to take for granted um, simply because those luxuries come from come from pain, they come from hurting the land, they come from destroying the land, and 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 theft from future generations. Max Wilber, you talk about lying to ourselves, and I think the complicity that runs rampant in this society, and even among indigenous peoples too, because we've had to adopt uh, different ways of survival within the box, so to speak, and even environmentally, what think as we think as benign thought processes really are damaging because you open up to good intention. Uh, perhaps we'll, if we keep doing it this way, we'll get it right one of these days, but it, there's little room for mistakes anymore. Um, and I'm thinking about, wow. So we have to go to the land, understand what they're doing, what you, you are doing and, and, you know, bringing information out, giving the reasons uh, we could go through the, the profitable margins and not, and we could go through the benefits of industry by saying it's good, it's good of all of us. Or we can go to just, um, as you would say, the comforting lie. And, and that's, don't you feel that that someday it has to come to an end to, to even begin to look at the problem, the elephant in the room? Yeah. Well, I think that if you look at history, what you see is, is societies that don't learn those lessons, um, they destroy themselves. You know, they ultimately commit, commit suicide because we're not separate from the natural world. We're not separate from the water and the air and the land and the soil and the other creatures. We're dependent on them. We're part of them. They're our relatives and we are, we're a family. <laughs> and, you know, just like abuse within a family you know, the, the abuser might get some momentary gratification or pleasure out of that. Um, it's destructive ultimately. You know, it's not like the abuser has this great, wonderful life and they live free and die happy. Um, you know, abusers destroy their own souls. They destroy their relationships. They destroy their families. They destroy everything around them ultimately. And that's what this culture is doing. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's really... Um, sad and, and, and kind of gruesome to say it, but really I think what this culture is like is almost like a murder-suicide. 
you know, it's, um, it's destroying the other, um, and it's destroying self. And, um, it's, it's, it's not a plan with the future and we need to move in a different way. And that's hard. There's a lot of momentum behind the way things are, but, um, we need to try. There is, there's such a word, uh, it's a Latin word. I call it, I'll correct it. In the meantime, it's called fellow de se, which means to, to commit suicide, commit wrong against oneself. And that mm-hmm. is what we're doing, as you described. But also, you know, when you go to the, the letter that you wrote to the, to the Nevada Division of Environmental Protection about that very political, social concern about the claims of lithium mining, could you clue us into what that means and whose land is it happening on or who's obligated to protect the land rather than who's has the right to something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the region of the Thacker Pass mine is in what's today called Northern Nevada. Traditionally, it's, it's uh, Northern Paiute territory, um, all sort of right on the boundary of Western Shoshone territory, from what I understand. Um, I think there was a lot of sort of intercultural intermixing um, among the communities there, a lot of bilingual people traditionally and intermarriage and, and very close relations. So, yeah, this proposed lithium mine would be the, the largest on the continent. Um, it's being looked at as sort of a test case for lithium mining generally in this country because many other country companies are trying to push forward with lithium mining. Um, so what happens with the Thacker Pass mine will have ramifications um, uh, you know, across this country and really across the world. Um, we saw recently a massive uprising of community opposition to a lithium mine in Serbia, in Europe, where tens of thousands of people marched on the streets and were able to force the government and the mining company to, uh, to cancel the project uh, for now. Um, they might come back with it later, but um, op- you know, opposition works. It doesn't always work. Um, it doesn't work in every situation. But um, but pushing back works, and they those people over there were recognizing that this push for lithium is, is greenwashing. It's mostly about the profit and the money that these corporations want to make, and uh, big tax revenues for the governments that permit these projects. And that's that's really what it's about. Um, it's not good for the planet to build more cars, no matter what powers them. Um, that's really the opposite of the issue. We need to build less cars, far less. In fact, we probably need to build zero cars uh, and relatively soon. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying that we need to begin scaling back our consumption dramatically. Uh, we need to scale back um, everything about the size of, of the human enterprise right now because it's all been powered by destruction. Um, a lot of it coming from fossil fuels, but a lot of it coming from the destruction of old growth forests and the depleting of soils and the vacuuming of all the fish from the oceans. Like I said, that, that's not a plan with the future. No, it's, it's not a plan of the future. What, what good is speeding up human communication when we've lost it with the earth? Yeah, well said, well said. When it comes to your, your work and dealing with all these regulations and everything to, to make the, the human creativity as such that we can't create except through them anymore. I think that's where we've gone. And as you have taken the risk and 
and uh, really challenge a lot of ideas that are either mainstream or even left-turnative, as I call them. And I think we we have to look at what it's really been called, Pihi Muha, as a Paiute say, and one of the measures that you ask for, it's something you can do right here now as listeners speak, is what Max is saying is you can do one thing that's very practical, is spending five minutes researching Researching everything, the environmental and community harms right there in your home as to what's outside that door. And I would say that, and this has to be a short interview, but we're going to talk again, Max Wilbert. You have one thing more to say about what's going on, and I know you're going to return to Nevada soon. And what's, what's down the pike? Yeah, well, I want to say that, you know, the BLM in their permitting of this project, that's the Bureau of Land Management. Um, the federal agency that quote unquote owns the land there, they claim the land. They, they're either incompetent or they're lying. Um, and why I say that is because, as we've talked before about on this show, uh, there was a massacre of Paiute people in 1865 on the site of the proposed mine. That wasn't included in the permitting for the project. And the BLM either completely missed it, even though the information was in their own records, uh, in their archives, or they lied to the public by failing to disclose that massacre. So, uh, you know, this is the federal government, and it was the federal government, the the soldiers of the the federal government who massacred Paiute people in Dakar Pass back in 1865, and now the same federal government is suppressing information about that massacre and ultimately... They're planning to destroy the evidence of that massacre by destroying the land where it took place. And, you know, Milan Kundera was a writer who said um, something like the struggle of, of um, humans against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. It's so important that we remember the past, that we learn from it, the real past, what really happened. You know, not our projections, not our, um, our beliefs, but we really look at what happened and try and understand it. And... This is just another example of uh, the federal government overlooking or actively um, hiding these, uh, this history of land theft and the destruction of, the, of indigenous peoples. And that is so linked, so deeply linked to the destruction of the land that has been ongoing uh, in this country ever since. Max Wilbert, author, tri-author of Bright Green Lies with Derek Jensen and Lear Keith. And thank you for keeping us updated, Max. And I, I'm sure you're on or near Beacon Hill in Seattle. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah, I actually grew up in Columbia City, just to the east of Beacon Hill. My grandma lived on Beacon Hill when I was a kid. So I would uh, usually spend a lot of time up there and you know, when she was young, uh, she heard from the people who lived there before her uh, back when the Duwamish River Delta was a wetland and people mm. would go duck hunting down there. And now that's one of the most polluted places in the entire state of Washington and, and probably in the country. So I think mm. about that often when I'm, when I'm here and think about the changes that have come to this land. Well, your your thinking is being honored now because Earth is really paying attention to those who are paying attention to her. But I want to thank you from over here in the mountains of the East Coast, the Catskills. And it's an honor to have you here on First Voices Radio, Max Wilbert. Thank you. Thank you, Tiokasen. Take good care. First Voices Radio. Again, my name is Tiokasen Ghost Horse, your host for this show. And um 
to me, it's, it's uh, getting at home now as I begin 30 years on the radio. And just for you local listeners, that Native people are everywhere. So the community is not just on a reservation. The community is the land. So community to us is not a neighborhood. It's the land, the air, the water, the rocks, the water especially, uh, the consciousness that's all around you. And so you think about this, you know, the radiate, to radiate, to think about intuition of our languages of indigenous that are everywhere in North America, as you call it. We call it Turtle Island. So in this way, we've been bringing this to you, First Voices Radio, for this long. And uh, I could tell you things have not changed. They've actually gotten worse in a lot of nice lords to skip the elephant in the room, as I always talk about. And But we've been continuing this for a long time. This is an all-Native hosted, all-Native produced First Voices Radio. And again, Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices. And again, our studio engineer, Ally Guide, is the Malcolm Byrne. And again, my name is Teokasen Ghostors. Doksha Ake Watching Telo. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. It's worth my friend, it's never too late To be what you want to be, your fate is what you create You can change or stay the same There are no rules to this thing You can always make the best of it It's never too late Oh, it's never too late Sometimes you get restless Sometimes you just can't wait Patient, listen Your spirit will guide you always You've heard this all before You don't need anything else at all is hidden inside of you It's never too late oh, So gather your children and find your purpose and place And join in this spiritual race It's such a small thing to ask To make these changes last a while It starts from deep within your heart It radiates Things that you've never felt before I hope you meet people with a different point of view I hope you live a life that you're proud of and so much more And if you find you're just not 
saying there's a climate crash happening we keep it at bay we talk ugly of the weather which is mother earth and we're constantly digging her up drilling her destroying her her forest her air her lungs her blood the water we're, we're destroying all those things now think about languages that understand that a higher intelligence of living with mother earth is the languages of indigenous indigenous 95% of the world forgot how to be indigenous. So now it's up to the 5% of the world to bring Mother Earth, help her bring us back into balance with her and our thought processes. Ushimilaye oyate wani wa chichuelo, reon kipiki hohewa stelo, homidako yoyasi, wopila, chante washte na pechi yuzapielo, chante washte na pechi yuzapielo. 